0: for leading us this morning and for just uh, helping us to express wonderful truths to our beautiful Savior. This is God's Word for us this morning, and in verse 153 of Psalm 119, page 516, if you want to use a Bible from the pew, this is God's Word for us, and this is what Our God says, Look on my affliction and deliver me, for I do not forget your law. Plead my cause and redeem me. Give me life according to your promise. Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not keep your statutes. Great is your mercy, O Lord. Give me life according to your rules. Many are my persecutors and my adversaries, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. I have looked on the faithless with disgust because they do not keep your commands, Consider how I love your precepts. Give me life according to your steadfast love. The sum of your word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules endures forever. You may be seated. Father, thank you for your word. There's no word like your word. And Father, even as we've been worshiping you. Father, we pray that we would continue worshiping you over your word and under your word and through your word. Help us to see great things about you. And in particular, help us to see the greatness of your mercy toward us in Christ Jesus. Help us to understand this passage and not just so that we have more information, but that by your spirit you would change us through this passage, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are prodding our way through Psalm 119, eight verses at a time. Um, Psalm 119 has been underscoring for us something of the functional and the practical value of God's Word in the life of a follower of Christ. The 176 verses are are naturally divided into 8 verse units, and we are now on the 19th of the 22 units. So we're, we're almost done, uh, and uh, i sure I'm going to miss Psalm 119. In fact, uh, I never do anything well the first time through. I'm half tempted to just, when I finish next month, just... Go back to verse 1 again, but, but I couldn't make any promises that I would do any better the second time, so maybe we should just move on anyway. But this particular unit of 8, verses 153 to 160, I found very hard to outline, very hard to like figure out what's the structure here, um, and, and yet the, the more I read over it this week, I just certainly some distinct themes or patterns begin to stick out. Uh, and, and i And what I hope to do is I, I as I hope to highlight them as we make our way through it and 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 yet what I saw as the distinct emphasis in these eight verses was that this psalm this unit of the psalm is is pointing out to us something of the of a of a clear distinction a distinction between Those who belong to the Lord and those who do not belong to the Lord. And so with that sense in mind, I want to revolve our thoughts around two um, points. And that is, first of all, the Lord's people have a distinct pursuit. The Lord's people are are heading in a certain trajectory or direction. And secondly, the Lord's people have a distinct perspective, a, a distinct way of of thinking about things and looking at things. And so let's let's consider these two distinct matters one at a time. First of all, the Lord's people have a distinct pursuit. There is a stark contrast portrayed in these 8 verses, 153 to 160, a, a sharp distinction between the psalmist and those who, as it's labeled here in verse 157, are his persecutors or his adversaries, whom he tags in verse 155 as the wicked, whom he labels in 158 as the the faithless. So, so there's a clear distinction between the psalmist who identifies as the one of the Lord's people, and those who are His adversaries, His enemies, the the wicked, the faithless, and the and the first um, distinct pursuit. There's two of them that I want to point out. The first distinct pursuit that is characteristic of the Lord's people is that the Lord's people have a distinct pursuit in relationship to the Word. The word of the Lord. Four four segments in these verses I want to highlight that contrast. Uh, This is how the Lord's people regard the word, and this is how those who are not the Lord's people regard the word. This is how the Lord's people pursue the word, and this is how the Lord, those who are not the Lord's people do not pursue the word. Look Look at 153. Um, The second part of 153, I do not forget your law. Or uh, in 157, the second part of 157, but I do not swerve from your testimonies. You see the pursuit, the focus here? The psalmist, as one of the Lord's people who is living in covenant relationship with the Lord... Uh, remembers and knows the Word, who and practices and obeys the Word. Now, that's in contradistinction to his persecutors, his adversaries, the, the wicked, the, the, the faithless. Speaking of the wicked in 155, it says there, um, uh, Salvation is far from the wicked, for they do not seek your statutes. They don't know what God's word says and guess what? They don't really care. And that's what they are. And yet do you see the emphasis here is on well that's what they are, but that's not who we are. Uh, they do not seek your statutes, but the psalmist says, "But I don't forget your law." Or in 158 as he's labeling uh his adversaries. He says, I I look at the faithless with disgust. Well, well, why? Because they do not keep your commands. The the faithless, even to whatever extent they might know something of God's commands, it's irrelevant to them. It's it's meaningless to them. They, They are not about to be intentional about keeping God's commands. Whereas in 157, the psalmist says, I do not swerve from your testimonies. In other words, I I, I don't want to go to the right or to the left. I want to stay right down the road and practice and obey your word. Do do you see the clear distinction here? God's people have an inclination of, of the heart toward God's word. We want to know it. We want to remember it. We want to practice it. We want to obey it. God's people do not uh, uh, seek to spend much time uh, characterized as having no inclination to seek God's statutes, having no desire to uh, keep God's commands. Now, I know we all bring different personalities to the table and And uh, uh, some people's consciences and personalities are are wound up a bit more tight than others of us. And that's okay. It just... We're all different in that sense. And so when we, but when we hear, when when this lands on some of us, that the the psalmist is saying, here's the distinction between God's people and those who are not God's people. God's people do not forget your law. God's people do not swerve from your testimonies. For for some whose consciences are a little bit more sensitive, uh, they're like, oh my, I must not be one of God's people because I do not perfectly keep God's law. Listen, those who belong to Jesus belong to Jesus in part because we've been given new hearts in Christ Jesus. New hearts that have new inclinations and new interests and new desires and yet and yet hear me out, this is important to make sure we 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 get this. Even though we belong to Jesus and have been given new hearts in Christ, those new hearts are not yet perfected hearts. That's at another stage of our outworking of salvation when, in fact, truth be known, we we won't get that perfected heart until we breathe our last breath here on this earth and open our eyes and see Jesus. Then we will be completely like him in, in every respect that a Created, created being could be like the creator of all things. Uh, that would, but, but in the meantime, it, we, we now have new interests and new inclinations and new desires. And, and those new interests and new inclinations and new desires um, in huge way revolve around our regard for God's word. There, there clearly ought to be um, a, a subtle distinction between how we, we have a different take on God's word than those who do not belong to Jesus... And yet we we won't we won't get that right perfectly. We, there won't be a day that we bumble and fumble and stumble. There won't be a week, there won't be an hour. There, I mean there was, we, 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 There are still are remaining vestiges of the old heart, if you would, that still has no inclination, no interest, no desire to be any different than the world. And yet God has breathed new life into us by His Spirit. And a result of that breathing of new life is that there is a distinct pursuit in our lives. We now have been made to hear the voice of Jesus. And, and Jesus says, My sheep hear My voice and they Follow me. That implies that we have a new direction, a new trajectory, a new pursuit in regard to God's word. We want to know what Jesus says to us in his word because we now have new interests and inclinations in following him. So there's a stark contrast or distinction in the Lord's people in that We pursue the word of the Lord. But there's a second facet in these verses that's also distinct about us. We not only follow the word of the Lord and pursue the word of the Lord, but we also pursue the Lord of the word. There is a stark contrast, a sharp distinction as well between the psalmist and his persecutors in regard to calling upon the Lord for help. Look at how he begins in 153. Uh, Look on my affliction. He's crying out to the Lord, seeking the Lord, and then Go on down to verse 159, which is interesting. I don't know why the translators do this, but, but literally it's the same phrase where he says, consider how I love your precepts. Literally, he's, he's saying the same thing he said in 153. Look on my affliction and deliver me. Uh, look how I love your precepts. In both cases, he's saying, Lord, Lord, look down upon me. He's crying out to the Lord uh, uh, to to seek the Lord's attention. And and what does he say as he's crying out to the Lord for the Lord to look down upon him? Well, in essence, he's saying, help me. Three times in 154, 156, and 159, he uses a a, a pattern here, In 154, give me life according to your promise. In 156, give me life according to your rules. In 159, give me life according to your steadfast love. When you you factor in those three um, statements of give me life, he also says in 153, deliver me. He also says in 154, uh, plead my cause. In other words, fight for me and redeem me. He not only pursues the word of the Lord, but he pursues the Lord of the word. He prays, cries out to the Lord. That is a second facet of how the Lord's people are distinct from those who are not the Lord's people. The Lord's people have, have, have a knowledge of having a welcomed access into the presence of the Lord and we take advantage of that. We we avail ourselves of that. When life isn't unfolding the way we wish it would would, the way we think it ought to unfold. What do we do? When when here in this passage when when there are wicked faithless people who are seeking to persecute and be uh, against us. What do we do? The Lord's people pursue the Lord. We cry out to the Lord for deliverance. You see, the, the, the first response of our heart to troubles ought to be to cry out to the Lord and not fight back with those who are giving us our troubles. I'm not saying there's never a place to fight back. I'm not saying we have to be pacifists. Uh, or, 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 but, But what I am saying is that how we would ever devise a way to fight back is found in first seeking the Lord in his wisdom. Lord, how do you want me to move forward? Is this one of these times where you want me to just... Stand right here and wait upon you? Or is this one of these times where I'm supposed to take what you've commanded about this matter in your word and proceed with that? In other words, it's, it's seeking the Lord either way. So that's why our first response isn't to just simply do a reflex to fight back. Our first response is to look up to the Lord and say, look at this. Do you see this? What, 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 help me. What, what am I supposed to do here? That, that see the world doesn't think that way. Those who are not God's people don't think that way. They think, "What? Why do you? Why are you looking up in the sky? Isn't that empty up there? I mean, I mean, is there anybody? There's probably nobody up there. You're just you're just wasting your breath. Your your prayers don't go beyond the ceiling. That's what they think. But we we have a distinct um, pursuit. Uh, that that we seek the Lord in our troubles. We seek the Lord for help in all of our ways. and And why do we have such a distinct pursuit? We seek the word of the Lord and we seek the Lord of the word. Well, we have a distinct pursuit because God's people, secondly, have a distinct perspective. And there's two facets to this distinct perspective. And as it seems to play itself out in this passage... These two facets to our distinct perspective are correspondingly connected to the, to the two facets of our distinct pursuit. So the first distinct pursuit was we sought the word of the Lord. Now, why, why do God's people seek the word of the Lord? Well, because we have a different perspective on this matter. In other words, God's people have clear convictions that form a perspective in us that drives our pursuit. We pursue the Word. Why do we pursue the Word? Because we have a different perspective on the Word than the world does. We pursue the Word because we see the Word for what it truly is. And that shapes our convictions in regard to the Word. Why does the Lord's people pursue the Word when the faithless and the wicked in this passage, we were told, do not? Well, the psalmist in verse 160, as he wraps up this unit, he, he, he unveils for us something of the conviction... Uh, and therefore the perspective that drives our pursuit. Why do we drive toward the Word? We drive toward the Word because in one verse 160 we're told, the sum of your Word is truth. And every one of your righteous rules... Endures forever. Another way of saying that is: is everything about your word is true, and everything about your word is always and only reliable for all time. You see, if you have that conviction, if we, if we if that's our perspective on the word, then it's not much of a stretch to say, well, sure, that's why I'm oriented to pursue the word. I'm oriented to pursue the Word because I'm convinced that everything in the Word is true. I'm convinced that everything in the Word is reliable. And and who wants to root and ground their life on something other than that which is true and reliable? Duh! And and so by the grace of God, we have seen that the Word is what it is. Listen, we, we all there 's narrow one of us in the room this morning, whether we are the lord 's people or not the lord 's people there 's narrow one of us in this room who whom we'd all um, we all live in the trust or the reliance on something to give us what we need to understand reality I mean we, we all want to make Sense we all in a sense we all need to make sense out of life. We we all know that there's some kind of meaning to life. We just got to figure out well, where do we turn to? What do we rely upon to give us the goods to help sort out the meaning there is to life? We we all interpret the the experiences of of what we see and what we what what goes on around us. But we all interpret those experiences based upon our perspective of reality we are we are all relying upon uh, something to 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 give us the goods to make sense out of life and to give meaning to life and and to properly interpret life the psalmist says that's the word it's the word that 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 he is relying upon that he is turning to that he is trusting in uh, uh, that helps him to make sense of life that helps him to understand the meaning of life helps him to properly interpret what in the world is going on in life it's the word the word of god is 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 to is to be everything to us. Not, not that we worship the word, but oh my, to worship the Lord, who is the Lord of the Word, implies that, that 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 His Word is very pertinent and special to us. It's His Word. It's the Word of the One whom we worship. And the Word is is not merely uh, precious to us because it directs our personal or our private lives. The, the Word is not simply a, a revelation of private truth. No, we're so audacious in our conviction about our perspective of God's Word, we, we believe it not just tells us what we must do and how we must live, but We believe that the Word of God is the sum of truth and therefore it defines and it explains and it gives meaning to everything. And so in every facet of our lives as we're, as we're moving about our week and we watch the news and the, and the news reports something to us and, 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 and since the, the, to be people who have a pursuit of the word and because of the perspective we have on the word is the sum of all truth, we would say, is that true what that person just said? Uh, what does the word of God say about that? What, uh, 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 how, how, how does the word of God touch on that matter? How does the word of God help give me a, a sense of perspective, to shape my understanding of what's going on in the world around me. There, there, is, there, is, no, there is no nook and cranny in life for, for which we, we would say, well, I'm sorry, the Word doesn't touch on that one. The Word is the sum of, of all truth. And if we believe that, if that's our conviction, if that shapes our perspective, then do, do you see? Do you see the why as to why do we pursue the Word? Why do we pursue the Word of the Lord? Because we're con- we, we are convinced that there is, there is no other source of ultimate truth than what God has revealed to us through His Word. And we're always thinking, how does that square with the Word? How, how does that measure up to the Word? In a sense, the Word is the ultimate... Some of you know what this is, some of you don't. The ultimate plumb line. To test the trueness of every other truth claim, and so when we hear things, when we read things, when we when we see things, we take it all in, we mull it over, we want to evaluate it and contemplate it. But what is the criteria that we will use to mull it over and evaluate it? What has God revealed in His Word? About this, about that, about such and such and so and so. Because we, we the distinct perspective that the Lord's people have is the sum of your word is truth. A second perspective. We pursue the word because of our perspective on the word. We pursue the Lord because of our perspective of the Lord. Why does the Lord's people turn to the Lord for help? In other words, why did we do the second thing that I mentioned in the first point? Hint, hint, why do we turn to the Lord? Because there's something true in the the Word, goes back to the first point, that, that we have learned about the Lord. Look at Look at verse 160. What is it that we see and understand about the Lord that drives us to cry out to Him? Great is your mercy, O Lord. Great is your mercy. That, that, that conviction shapes a perspective that orients us in, in a pursuit. Why do we lay claim before God to say, look on me, look on me. Why do we lay claim that says, give me life, give me life. Give me life. Why do we lay claim to such a, a request? Deliver me. Why do we lay claim to such a, a bold request? Fight for my cause and redeem me. Why? Because we have a settled conviction that we've learned from the true word. And that is the, an essential component of God's nature, of God's regard for his people, is that he is full of mercy. Mercy his people. Pastor Carl alluded to uh, Hebrews 4 a, a bit ago, that we would come boldly before the throne of grace, that we might receive mercy in our time of need. We, we just have this conviction. It just shapes our perspective. It's just like, I don't care what problem I'm in. I don't care uh, what's going on. I can go talk to my father. He's merciful toward me. There's no problem that, that my father is not strong enough and wise enough and caring enough that, that I can say, oh, father, he said, get away, kid, you're bugging me. We, we, don't, we don't even have that category because it's so far away from our understanding of, of the nature of our God. Great is your mercy. That, that perspective shapes that conviction uh, that drives that pursuit. We seek him because we're convinced, i go to my father, he's full of, He's full, of, he's full of mercy. Do you see that? Those who are not God's people don't see that. It doesn't thrill them. Whatever, it's just—it's just its just not its just not that big of a deal to them, and so they're—they're they're more than happy, if you would, in their in their wicked state, in their faithless state, trying to persecute and and, 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 and be adversaries to people. Which which I would say it's just like, do you see why they're so mighty, and honory? They don't have a father who's merciful to them, and yet, in contradistinction to that, do you see why the last? kind of people we ought to be is 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 people who like go around and persecute and be adverse to people. Why would we want to do that? Why would we want to spread misery? We have we don't have to live in misery. We have mercy. We have a different father than they do. Sure they act like they do. Look at their daddy. Oh, that thought scares me. As I see my own boys raising their kids, and I and I, and I see it like, oh boy, and I think, oh why, why do my sons act like their father? You know, like well, I hope they see a different father in heaven, and that shapes their their lives. But it's just like, I, I, just by the grace of God, you just, just like, you know. But anyway, you see. Unpack what this means further, though. What does it mean that the Lord deals with you? The Lord deals with me. The Lord deals with us on the basis of His mercy. Well, among other things, it it reminds us, and it should ever remind us, that the Lord's kind dealings with us, the Lord's gracious response to us is not based upon our innate qualifications for such dealings and response oh there's a prayer i hope I, there's a prayer i hope i never utter i hope i never say lord give me what i deserve and get down here and do it now That boy done flipped. And yet I say that. I say that, that we're tempted at times to think that we are entitled to more than what God's good, merciful hand is supplying us at the moment. There's always a temptation that we would grow embittered toward God. Where are you at? Get down here. I'm entitled to more. I'm entitled to better. At that moment... At that moment, what has gone blank from our radar screen is that the Lord deals with us on the basis of His mercy. Not, not on the basis of our qualifications for Him, our innate qualifications for Him to deal with us and to, and to respond to us. In fact, what mercy reminds us of is that the Lord's kind, gracious dealings toward us are in fact not because of our qualifications but in spite of our lack of qualifications that that, that 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 in spite of our lack of qualifications the lord offers pardon the lord withholds punishment the lord the lord provides and bestows blessings no, not 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 in any way because that, that these blessings this pardon this withholding of punishment is what i have earned and therefore feel myself entitled to but because god's mercies have come to us because someone other than us has made himself eminently qualified to direct all of the mercies of God toward us in Jesus Christ his son there was only one person on the face of this earth who could have who could have said get down here and give me what i deserved and that would have turned out well for him but instead he stayed here and said father give me what they deserve And may you give to them what I've earned and what I'm entitled to. The mercies of God flow freely for us because Jesus picked up the bill and paid the price through his own perfect righteous life, through his own perfect righteous sacrifice. And we know that's more than enough because right here on this day, the tomb is empty. Jesus is raised. He is at, right there at his Father's hand where he is ever pleading God's continued flow of mercy upon us. Turn to Christ. Trust only in Christ this morning. Father, thank you for your word. Father, thank you for all that your word says to us. It, it, it is, Father, the sum of your word is truth. And Father, we're so grateful that among the things that we learn from your true word is that you are great in mercy. So, Father, thank you for that mercy. We pray now that our hearts and minds would be turned to Christ, who is the, the person and the face and the name, if you would, of all the mercy that comes to us. Thank you for your Son, Jesus the grounds of our mercy, the one who is qualified to earn mercy and yet now give it freely to us. Thank you, Father, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing the song of response.